0: Good morning. It's great to be here, to be back in Sterling. I know uh, when you heard that I'm at Friends, I heard a couple maybe boos, and I get it. I get it. But just so you know, I am a graduate of Sterling College, so I have love in my heart for Sterling, okay? All right? Um, I graduated in 2014. Uh, Just a little bit about me, I I did the Christian Ministries Emphasis in Youth. Um, and then uh, I was a youth pastor here in Sterling at Cross Points. Cross Points still, still kicking. All right, awesome, yeah. And uh, did, was there for a year and a half. And then for eight and a half years, I've been a youth pastor at Eastminster Church in Wichita, Kansas. Anyone heard of Eastminster? All right, you got a Presbyterian connection there. Uh, great church. Check it out uh, if you'd like. And then just the uh, just this summer, I transition to Friends University to be campus pastor. So it's a new season for me, but I had uh, had a conversation with Paul Brandis, who's was a close friend of mine, and he had put me on the schedule. And Jose was kind enough to still let me come, even though he's never heard me preach. So it's kind of a risk. Appreciate it, brother. Um, but this is my family. Uh, my wife, Kelsey, have got three kids. dwayne has got the creepy smile. Um, Lois is really cute, she's my three-year-old, and Evelyn is my ten-month-old. And uh, yeah, I'm just it's a privilege to be here. Um, such fond memories of being on the stage, leading worship when I was uh, in your shoes, and so thank you so much for having me. I want to talk uh, this morning about habits. And I ask a question, have you ever tried to start a new habit? and failed, right? Uh, how many of you, like, on a New Year's, like, had a New Year's resolution, you wanted to start flossing or read more books, and I don't know about you, I've got uh, an iPhone um, with a bunch of notes that are, like, you know, 2015 goals, and there's, like, six of them, and it's, like, I look at it for three days and then never look at it again, all right? Just me? All right, well, uh, it's, it is hard to form a new habit. We are, we are creatures of habit. And to try to form or change our life is difficult. And so this has been a topic that's been interesting to me. And uh, as I've read more about it, I came across the research of a man named B.J. Fogg, who is a behavioral scientist, and he has given his life to study habits and human behavior. And I came across this, uh, it was a TED Talk, where he was talking about habits, and he gave his equation for how to start a new habit. And It's kind of interesting. It's, he calls it tiny habits. Here's what he would say. If you want to start a new behavior, a new habit, instead of just jumping right in with the, uh, the fullness of what that behavior is, think about making it the tiniest tiniest action it could be. For example, he used the example of flossing. He pulls out some floss on stage. He says, instead of saying, I'm going to floss every day, he says, start with one tooth. I'm going to floss one tooth every day. And then his, the other part of his equation, he says, you have to do it after something you already do. So in that example, he says, after you brush your teeth, hopefully you brush your teeth every day, floss one tooth, And then the third part is to celebrate. So, like, look at yourself in the mirror and be like, you're awesome, right? Great job, buddy. Or whatever you say, you know, some positive self talk. And what he says this works in developing habits because since the motivation for doing something so small is so tiny, you don't miss it, right? You may have a day where you go, I don't want to floss all my teeth, but you can go, I can floss one tooth. Come on, I can floss one tooth. But when you do that every day, and you celebrate it, and you begin to associate good feelings with that habit, it begins to change your behavior. Now, other researchers in the field have discovered similar findings, and I say all that to you because I want to suggest this morning that the way we go about forming new habits may actually teach us something about the kingdom of God. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 19. Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 19. One of my favorite passages um, in Scripture. And I, I want to look at a people group that... Uh, are tasked with doing a new thing and seeing a new thing. And so before uh, I read this, just a little bit of background here, you have Isaiah, a prophet, or a mouthpiece of God, speaking words uh, of encouragement and exhortation to Israel, God's covenant people. And uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Israel, but they've had a, a pretty intense past. They started out Um, In captivity in Egypt, God delivered them out of Egypt through the wilderness and into a land that was promised called Canaan. Through all these miracles and and beautiful and and powerful events. But in this time in Israel's history, in Isaiah 43, they're actually not um, in Canaan. They are in exile because Babylon has conquered Jerusalem. And so again, Israel finds himself in a uh, problematic place. They, They need to be delivered again. And so Isaiah is speaking God's words. God is speaking through Isaiah to Israel to give them some encouragement, some exhortation as they are to be delivered. So I'm going to read this. Isaiah 43, 16 through 17 says this. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So the first part of this message is remember. Remember what I did for you. Remember that I split the sea, right? There's a story where God splits the sea and Israel walks on dry ground to be delivered to safety. Remember how I delivered you. But then there's this big switch, like a 180 degree turn. He goes, remember, and then verse 18, forget. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past? See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? If you have your Bible and pen, I want you to underline, do you not perceive it? Because I want to come back to that. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Remember what I did? Forget the former things. I mean, it's kind of like, God, you, you got to pick one, right? What, I mean, what are, you, what are you doing here? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. What God is saying is, remember what I did for you in Egypt. Forget it. I'm doing a new thing now. There's something new coming. I am, I am going to work on your behalf in a new way. Do not think we can box God in to what he's already done. God is too creative too big to be boxed in. He has new things in store. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? God is not making a way through the sea like he did in the Red Sea. God is making a way through the wasteland. He's making a stream in the wasteland. You see, the message is, do not let dwelling on your past prevent you from seeing what God is doing in the present and the future. And I believe this was a message for Israel in that time, but it's also a message for us as followers of Jesus today. Because if we're honest, how often do we allow things from our past to keep us from seeing what God is doing in our present and what he wants to do for us and with us in our future? We can see this in a lot of ways. I think oftentimes we can get hung up on dwelling on past mistakes. Things that we've done in our past that perhaps make us think we are disqualified from God's activity in our life. Yeah, there, there are Christians that, that you know, are, do good things, but you have no idea what I've done in my past, and therefore I don't think I can be part of this whole God thing, this Christianity thing. I don't think God can use me. I'm too Messed up, I've, I've made too many mistakes. That's not the way God works. God has a new thing. His mercies are made new every morning. We can get hung up on past victories. How many of you know someone that all they talk about is what they accomplished in high school or college? Like a family member who who is obsessed with, like, their, their athletic prowess at high school, all right? I, I, I can think of some folks that, you know, it's like every time we get to a family gathering, they're telling stories about how they won the state championship uh, way back. And, and it's, like, kind of silly, kind of funny, but also, in, in another sense, a little bit sad. Like, you are living in your past. We can actually allow past victories to prevent us from seeing what God is doing in our present and in our future. Perhaps some of you are here are athletes, and you remember what it was like to be the star at your high school. Can we not allow, can we not allow that to prevent what perhaps is coming up new for you here at Sterling. Maybe some of you can remember back to times of ministry, a small group, a youth group, maybe even faculty and staff, a time of Sterling or a time of classes, and you can think that was a great time. And it's okay to remember, but it's not okay to, to let that prevent us from seeing the new thing God is doing. We also can get stuck on past hurts, things that maybe not... We didn't do but that were done to us, that happened around us. Deaths or um, tragedies or, or things that were totally unfair and uncalled for. And it can allow us to start to question who God is and his goodness. Maybe we wonder uh, if God really loves us because of what has happened to us. Why would he allow this? You see, what what I think God is saying to Israel here is to forget, isn't to pretend like those things didn't happen, but it's to not fixate on them. It is to believe for a new thing. It's kind of like trying to drive, but only looking in the rear view mirror. I don't know if you've ever tried this. I don't recommend it. Um, it is a You may go forward for a little bit, you may be able to figure out, you know, how to get on the road, Um, but at some point, inevitably, you're going to crash. That's what it's like when we live only dwelling on our past mistakes, victories, hurts, rather than believing for the new thing that God is doing. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't think God's doing anything new with me. Like, how do I know? Um, what I would uh, say to you is that God is in the business of doing new things, right? I, I believe the question isn't whether or not God is doing something new. It's a question of vision. That's why I had you underline, do you not perceive it? Because the idea is, yes, God is at work doing something new in you, around you. He wants to do something new through you. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? And if you don't believe me, let's just take a look at Scripture here. Just real quick, I'm going to fly through these. God has given us a new song. You will be called by a new name. God will make a new covenant. His compassions are new every morning. In Christ, the new creation has come. We are to put on the new self. God gives us a new heart. And a new spirit. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. God is making all things new. As one theologian, Barney Stinton, said, New is always better. Just kidding. That's not a theologian. That's how I met your mother. Just seeing if you're listening, all right? God is in the business of new, of hope, of future, of goodness. He's making all things new. The question is not whether he is. He is. Do you not perceive it? Do you see it? I invite you to sit with this question. Perhaps this would be worth taking some time in your week to go and journal or to reflect or just to examine. What new thing is God doing in you, around you, and through you? I have a group, uh, a men's group that meets every other week, and we get around a, a solo stove um, and we take communion together. And we do one thing we ask this question of everybody in the circle What is God doing in you, around you, and through you? The, the, the group is called Dude Storm, which is the coolest name of any small group you've ever heard. I mean, do you agree That is, I mean, I think so. Dude Storm meets every other week, and we have the same question. Where do you see God? What's he doing in you? What's he doing around you? What is he doing through you? And through that time, we discern what God is up to in our lives. We work on seeing God's work in our lives. I remember a few years ago, I, uh, not a few years ago, you know, yeah, it was, it would have been two years by this point. Um, I put the tiny habits idea to the test. I, I was, uh, exposed to this, and, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna give it a shot, see what happens. And, and, uh, it was one of, a, a season of life for me where I was in ministry, I had two young kids, I was exhausted, I was in, in school, and, uh, I didn't have a good weekly communion with Jesus, and I needed some space to do that. So I decided I wanted to go on a walk every morning. That was my goal. And in that time, I was going to pray. Now, to start this habit, instead of saying, All right, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to walk a mile or something large, I broke it down. And this is the truth. I literally, first morning, I woke up, put on my shoes, I went out the door. I walked to the end of my driveway, turned around, walked back inside, said, good job, buddy, and then went about my day. It took all of 30 seconds, okay, right? But the goal of tiny habits is make it repeatable. So that was so easy that the next morning I did it again. And, again, and then, you know, I started being like, all right, Mike, you can go farther. Come on. All right, you, you know, you were a collegiate athlete. You played ten. You, you can go farther. All right, all right I'm going to do it. So the next, uh, the next week, I, instead of going to the end of my driveway, I went to the end of my block and back. It took me about two minutes. Then I went around one block. It took me maybe five to six minutes. And over time, I built it up where it became a habit. And not only was I walking, but I was using that space to commune with God. In fact, I remember pulling out my phone and I deciding I wanted to meditate on some scripture, I pulled out Psalm 23, and I started reading this every morning. "The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need." And I would repeat this passage. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I would just walk and read this every day. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. And I would go through it over and over and over again. Pretty soon I began to memorize it. And it was starting to saturate my whole being. It was was a way I communed with God. And I learned that passage. And I'm terrible at memorizing things. but I learned that passage and it's become a big part of my spiritual life. So it worked. The tiny habits idea worked. But what I want to suggest is while this may be a great little tool to learn a new habit, it actually resembles the way in which God's kingdom operates. You see, I think the kingdom of God most often in Scripture comes in small, subtle ways. Anyone know what that is? Yes, I heard someone say mustard seed, right? You guys have heard this metaphor. Right? The scriptures say that uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. There's this pattern in God's activity where he actually, instead of grand displays of power, which we do see, more often than not, there is a subtlety, there's a smallness that grows in the scripture. Creation begins with but a single word. Jesus is handed five loaves two fish from this child and then feeds thousands of people. Right? God enacts his master plan to save all of creation through a little baby boy born in a feeding trough. You look and you see over and over again that the kingdom often comes in these small, subtle Ways. And what I would think, what I think for us as followers of Jesus, here's what this means. What's important is not the size of our step, but the size of our God. What's important is not the size of our step towards Jesus, that the step of faith, but the size of our God and what he can do in us. The kingdom comes when Jesus' followers take simple, small steps of faith. This reminds me of a man named William Seymour. This is, uh, Seymour was the son of two freed slaves and had one eye, one working eye. And in 1906, he traveled to Los Angeles where he uh, found an a, a abandoned church building that was previously being used as a stable, okay? It was like, literally, horses had to be taken out so that he could meet there, okay? The floors were covered in sawdust. There was no ventilation, And yet he he came to this place and he began to preach. The the rumor has it that the flies were so bad that people would have to duck under benches to get a breath of air so they don't suck in these flies, all right? Nasty. But in this time, Seymour began humbly preaching. Something incredible happened. Some of you may know the story. Spirit moved. What started as a small group began to grow from 10 to 100 to 1,000 to thousands of people cramming into this space. And not only were the numbers staggering, but what Seymour did at this time was unthinkable. This was at the height of the Jim Crow segregation laws. And in this space, he created a multi-ethnic church service. African-Americans, Latinos, whites, men, women, and children, all gathered together, unified in Christ, in a powerful move of the Spirit. Cecil Robeck says this about this encounter. In spite of substandard facilities, intense heat, lack of ventilation, and swarms of flies, many came... Because they believed that God was doing something new in that place, and they wanted to be part of it. You see, the something new was eventually uh, known as the Azusa Street Revival, a massive spiritual awakening, often regarded as the beginning of modern-day Pentecostalism, which at this point I think is something like 500 million people around the world, and a lot of it attribute to what took place in that barn. But what I want you to see is not that, but the beginning of it, right? Seymour started a one-eyed man, humbly preaching in some barn. One small step of faith that God multiplied into something beautiful. It's important. It's not the size of our step, the size of our God. Mike Glenn says this, a lot of us get tripped up because we think our first steps in following Jesus should be harder, more demanding, and complicated. We need to remember God always starts small. I was reminded of this uh, a few days ago. I went on a hike with my daughter Lois, and uh, it, was, it was a... Uh, you know, beautiful day, I was a Saturday, I wanted to just go out and be with my daughter, and so we went on like a three-mile hike, and I had her in the back, and the best part about Lois is like, I don't really have to say much, because she'll just keep the conversation going the whole time, so she just chattered in my ears, we walked, but I remember after about an hour, we kind of get to a lull, kind of quiet, and I think about just being with my daughter, I think, you know what would be cool, I'm going to start teaching her the scriptures. In fact, I remembered Psalm 23, and we started going back and forth, I said, Lois, I want to teach you something. Um, I want you to repeat after me. The Lord is my shepherd. She goes, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I have everything I need. And we started going back and forth on this passage. Now, amazing thing about kids, they memorize things so fast. Something about their brains, they can just memorize. And by the end of maybe 20, 30 minutes, she was getting it. Almost the whole song. It was so cool. We shared that time together. I remember a few days later, um, I'm uh, at home, we're doing bedtime, and I'm like, hey, Lois, do you want to do Psalm 23 again? Yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I switched up the translation on her on accident, and she goes, that's not it! It's I have everything I need. I'm like, sorry, Lois, my bad, my bad. But hey, she was listening, right? It It was great. And we went through it again. And as I thought about this story, as I thought about this, I realized I enjoyed so much getting to share God's character and heart with one of the people I love most. But it didn't just happen because I decided to go on a hike with her. It happened because two years ago, I walked to the end of my driveway and back. And from that tiny step, that tiny step of faith is saying, God, I want to, I want to carve out some time to be with you. God used that to be able to share the word with my daughter. Here's what I believe. I believe God's doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing in you, He's doing a new thing around you, He's doing a new thing at Sterling. And he wants to do a new thing through you. Let us not dwell on past disappointments, failures, regrets, mistakes that we've experienced, but have eyes to see the new thing that God is doing. And as those who are tasked with co-laboring with Christ, on those on mission with God, those empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are invited to participate in this new thing, to step into the new thing God has for us. But the step doesn't have to be huge. just has to be faithful, faithful. And when we see God show up in our small, simple, faithful steps, then we'll celebrate. Not celebrate ourselves, but we'll worship. Celebrate what God has done. What's the new thing God is doing in you? And what would it look like to take one tiny step of faith? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord. It's so great to be back in this space. God, I can remember so many times that you have worked. I remember being a student here and your spirit moving. But God, you tell us to forget the former things and look to the new thing. And so God, in this space right now, I just pray that the new thing that you have planned for this place, for Jose, for Sterling, would become known. That students, faculty, and staff would perceive what you're up to. That there would be a move of your spirit. That those who do not know you would come to know you. We thank you for this time, this space together. And may we leave encouraged that you're doing a new thing in us. Pray this in the great name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.